Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. For the final time from the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, Northern Post. This is Obscure Season 2, Frankenstein. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, and moments away from being a true Georgianologist, Michael Ian Black, back from Portland, Oregon, which was a mess. I don't know if you've been to Portland lately, but... Things do not seem to be going well there, so far as I could tell, at least if the area that uh, areas, I should say, that I was in are any indication. Now look, I'm not one to fall for the media bile. You know, the media hysterics about whatever is going on, unless, of course, it's about UFOs. But the narrative about Portland in the past year, year and a half, has been that it's kind of a mess. And my experience in Portland this weekend is that it's kind of a mess. A lot of stores shuttered, uh, enormous homeless population ambling on the streets, very sad looking. The town, to me, at least the parts that I was in, felt like a kind of homeless encampment, a giant homeless encampment. And in fact, there are these blocks, city blocks, that are kind of fenced off, like with wire fencing. And it looks like the city has set up um, these small houses, very small houses, almost like garden sheds, but like with, I think, air conditioning and electricity and, and everything else to help alleviate the homeless problem. But I saw at least two of those camps. That's kind of what they look like. almost look like refugee camps. And then on the outside of those camps, there are more homeless people, sort of in tents. And I don't know if they're like waiting to get a spot in those places or what's going on. But it was a depressing sight. Home is everything. That is my conclusion. 
home is also where the heart is. Uh, home is wherever I lay my head. All of those things may be true. And obviously, I'm feeling particularly reflective on the nature of home as I get ready to uproot myself from the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. My interest in recreational vehicles continues unabated. I have been looking at uh, I've been I've been I've been looking at uh, videos of bus repair. That's how that's how far the rabbit hole I've gone. Where I'm looking, I'm watching guys repair buses online. You know, seeing where the seeing where the leak is coming from, checking the air brakes. You know, uh, disassembling various hoses and re assembling various hoses, comparing different engines, the Cummins versus the diesel, uh, the Detroit diesel. I mean, how much time must I have on my hands that I'm watching bus repair videos as a consequence of my interest in RV videos, which themselves are a consequence of me feeling unmoored. I'm trying to find mooring in bus repair videos. And succeeding, by the way. Totally succeeding. When last we left Victor Frankenstein, he was reading a letter from his beloved, poor Elizabeth Lavenza, his cousin, his sister, his betrothed, you know. And she was saying, Look, I get it. Like you, you're bummed out, and you're probably bummed out because you feel like you have to marry me, and I release you from any and all obligations. You do not have to marry me. I get it. I love you, but you don't love me, and um, you know I just want you to be happy, Vic. I just want you to be happy, sweetheart. So just one smile from you is all I need to ensure my own happiness. So don't feel like you're obligated to me in any way, shape, or form. And so the the last episode was him finishing reading that letter, but we have not read his conclusion yet. The shows in Portland, by the way, were really fun. I was at the Helium Comedy Club in Portland. Some uh, terrific acts with me. Amy Silverberg, Kelly Ryan, Alice Wetterland. We had, we had a nice time until I had to walk around Portland and then my mood evaporated. And I got a little starstruck because I saw an RV on the street. I was like, oh, an RV on the street. You know, there's a real, there's a real live RV. You know, big class C Winnebago. Walked right up to it and realized very quickly it was in disrepair and there was a guy living in it. And it bummed me out. Back to the book, volume three, chapter five. just finished reading the letter. This letter revived in my memory what I had before forgotten, the threat of the fiend. And now he's quoting the fiend, and this is italicized, and this is the fiend saying, Big Buddy saying, I will be with you on your wedding night. Such was my sentence, and on that night would the daemon employ every art to destroy me and tear me from the glimpse of happiness which promised partly to console my sufferings. On that night he had determined to consummate his crimes by my death. I like that little double entendre, 
consummate. And obviously, wedding night is when you consummate uh, your relationship. Just in terms of fucking. You understand what I'm saying? Just in terms of fucking. Well, be it so. A deadly struggle would then assuredly take place, in which, if he were victorious, I should be at peace, and his power over me be at an end. If he were vanquished, I should be a free man. Alas, what freedom! Such as the peasant enjoys when his family have been massacred before his eyes, his cottage burnt, his lands lay waste, and he is turned adrift, homeless, relevant, penniless, relevant, and alone, but free. Such would be my liberty, except that in my Elizabeth I possessed a treasure. Alas, balanced by those horrors of remorse and guilt, which would pursue me until death. So he's saying, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I got to, I got to. The, the two choices are this: either Big Buddy kills me, and then I'm free from big buddy but i'm but i'm dead or i kill big buddy and i am free except that he has already laid waste uh you know to his family has been massacred his cottage burned his lands lay waste he's turned adrift homeless penniless and alone but free um so he's saying like i've already i'm all i'm already screwed every which way here but at least I would have Elizabeth. At least Elizabeth would be the one treasure that I could take from this terrible, terrible experience, and maybe that would be worth it, even though the horrors of remorse and guilt would pursue him until death. So we continue. Sweet and beloved Elizabeth, I read and reread her letter, and some softened feelings stole into my heart and dared to whisper, paradisiacal dreams of love and joy. But the apple was already eaten, and the angel's arm bared to drive me from all hope. Yet I would die to make her happy. If the monster executed his threat, death was inevitable. Yet again, I considered whether my marriage would hasten my fate. My destruction might indeed arrive a few months sooner, But if my torturer should suspect that I postponed it, influenced by his menaces, he would surely find other and perhaps more dreadful means of revenge. Right. If if you just say, hey, we're going to, hey, Elizabeth, hey, Liz, we're going to, we're going to, let's postpone the wedding just a scotch. You know, Big Buddy's a smart guy. He's going to be like, dude, come on. You can't do that. Dude, I know I said on your wedding night, but dude. You can't just keep delaying the wedding night because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my revenge and it's going to be even worse because you're being a dick. Don't be a dick, Vic. So, you know, he, he's not, he can't play semantic games here. He can't, he can't like outwit Big Buddy by changing the date. Not that they have a date, but by delaying the wedding. You know, he, Big Buddy knows his feelings for Elizabeth. He knows Elizabeth's feelings for Vic. Like it's a, it's a thing. And he's not going to wiggle out of it through some technicality. He had vowed to be with me on my wedding night, yet he did not consider that threat as binding him to peace in the meantime, for as, to sh- for as if to show me that he was not yet satiated with blood, he had murdered Clerval immediately after the enunciation of his threats. 
I resolved, therefore, that if my immediate union with my cousin would conduce either to hers or my father's happiness, my adversary's designs against my life should not retard it a single hour. Right. He's just going to do what he's going to do. And, it does, and the wedding is irrelevant here. And it's a good point. I'm glad Mary said it because, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, well, he could just delay the wedding. But Mary's a step ahead of us. Good. Good for you, Mary. Good for you, Mary. Step ahead of the reader for a change. In this state of mind, I wrote to Elizabeth. My letter was calm and affectionate. I fear my beloved girl, I said. Little happiness remains for us on earth, yet all that I may one day enjoy is centered in you. Chase away your idle fears. To you alone do I consecrate my life and my endeavors for contentment. I have one secret, Elizabeth, a dreadful one. When revealed to you, it will chill your frame with horror. And then, far from being surprised at my misery, you will only wonder that I survive what I have endured. Oh, God, Victor, why are you such a fucking navel-gazer? Why are you the victim here? You're not the victim, dude. I mean, there are so many ways you could have made this turn out much better than it has turned out. And you think Elizabeth's reaction to this is going to be, oh, poor Victor, what horrors you have endured. You set this whole thing into motion. You rejected Big Buddy once you breathed life into him. You after creating this horror show, refused to tell anybody what you did and what's-her-face. Poor what's-her-face. Justine got killed because of you. And and poor uh, William got killed because of you. And poor Clerval got killed because of you. And you're the victim? Shut up, dude. Stop. You know, look, forgive the language, and I know it's not PC, but stop being such a little bitch. I will confide this tale of misery and terror to you the day after our marriage shall take place. Well, if the, if the secret is so terrible, why do you think she's still going to want to marry you? Like, why are you so confident? I mean, the, he is such a, like, frat bro in this moment, you know? So convinced he is of her certainty in her love that he's like, well, I'll tell you after we get married. No, you'll tell her before. And let her make up her own damn mind about whether she wants to marry you. I wouldn't. For my sweet cousin, there must be perfect confidence between us. Yeah, before you get married, stupid. But until then, I conjure you. Do not mention or allude to it. Yeah, no problem. You just told me that there's a secret so horrible that you harbor, so disgusting and dreadful that it's going to change everything that you think about, that I think about you. And then you're like, oh, but I'm not going to tell you till after we get married and do me a favor. Don't mention it until then. What a dick. This I most earnestly entreat and I know you will comply. No, no, I will not comply. Tell me your shit and then I'll figure out whether or not we're going to get married. But the way you're talking right now, I'm feeling like, no, it's probably off, dude. We're probably not going to get married. If what you're saying is so fucking horrible that you can't even tell me what it is until after we get married, and I shouldn't bring it up until then, then I feel like we're going to probably have to have a conversation or at the very least talk to a lawyer about a prenup. 
because this is bullshit. Total bullshit. What a shitty-ass letter you wrote to Elizabeth, who bore her heart to you in kind of a thirsty way. All right, I'm pissed off. Let's take a break. I'll be back in a second on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here from the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, Northern Outpost, for the final time, uh, just annoyed as I can be at Victor Frankenstein and his stupid letter that he wrote to Elizabeth, allegedly the love of his life. He can't even tell her what's going on with him. I don't know why. He's like, no, we'll get married. Then I'll tell you, you stupid idiot. In about a week after the arrival of Elizabeth's letter, we returned to Geneva. The sweet girl welcomed me with warm affection, yet tears were in her eyes as she beheld my emaciated frame and feverish cheeks. I saw a change in her also. She was thinner and had lost much of that heavenly vivacity that had before charmed me. But her gentleness and soft looks of compassion made her a more fit companion for one blasted and miserable as I was. <laughs> you said blasted, perv. The tranquility which I now enjoyed did not endure. Oh, no, really? Really, navel gazer? The tranquility which you now enjoy did not endure? Yeah, because you can't be happy for one friggin' second. Because you suck. Because you're a miserable shitheel. Memory brought madness with it, and when I thought of what had passed, a real insanity possessed me. Sometimes I was furious and burnt with rage, sometimes low and despondent. I neither spoke nor looked at anyone, but sat motionless, bewildered by the multitude of miseries that overcame me. Elizabeth alone had the power to draw me from these fits. Her gentle voice would soothe me when transported by passion and inspire me with human feelings when sunk in torpor. She wept with me 
and for me. When reason returned, she would remonstrate and endeavor to inspire me with resignation. Ah, it is well for the unfortunate to be resigned, but for the guilty there is no peace. The agonies of remorse poison the luxury there is otherwise sometimes found in indulging the excess of grief. Well, that's certainly true. You know, that is a luxury to indulge the excess of grief. And, you know, the agonies of remorse do poison that. So, you know, when you want to feel sorry for yourself, as we all do once in a while, if you have remorse about it, geez, you know, then it's no fun at all. You know, you just, you just want, you just want to say, woe is me and not feel remorse about it. You don't want to feel guilty about it. You just want to say, oh, the fates have conspired against me. The world hates me and I am miserable. I am nothing but a worm and weep into your soup. Like that is, there's a certain amount of joy in that. Everybody can agree. But when, but when you feel like you deserve it for real and like you're, you know, there's guilt involved. Ugh, that's no fun. But like what, like what is Elizabeth doing? Like what, you know. She's hot, right? She's hot. She's smart. She's gentle. She's compassionate. Like, she's got all these great qualities. Why is she, like, wasting her life with this dude, whiling away the hours, pining for this dude who really has never, I mean, he's shown interest in her. He's been like, I love you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, he took off for Ingolstadt, right? He was gone forever. He comes back um, after poor William has been killed and poor Justine has been killed. He's a changed man. Like, you don't owe him anything. Why are you holding this torch for this guy? He sucks. Like, everything about him sucks. I understand, like, you grew up together and, like, you were, you were playmates and, like, you're, you're, you know, basically your mom was, your mom and dad were like, yeah, you should marry your brother. And, like, you were, like, you were cool with that. But, I mean, Clerval's dead, you know? The Three Musketeers are no more. Like, maybe give up the ghost here, Elizabeth. Maybe get your shit together and get your life in order. Fall in love with somebody else. Get a job. Do some damn thing. Soon after my arrival, my father spoke of my immediate marriage with Elizabeth. I remained silent. Have you then some other attachment? None on earth. I love Elizabeth and look forward to our union with delight. Let the day therefore be fixed, and on it I will consecrate myself in life or death to the happiness of my cousin." My dear Victor, do not speak thus. Heavy misfortunes have befallen us, but let us only cling closer to what remains and transfer our love for those whom we have lost to those who yet live. Our circle will be small, but bound close by the ties of affection and mutual misfortune. And when time shall have softened your despair, new and dear objects of care will be born to replace those of whom we have been so cruelly deprived. Such were the lessons of my father. But to me, the remembrance of the threat returned. Nor can you wonder that omnipotent as the fiend had yet been in his deeds of blood, I should almost regard him as invincible. And that when he had pronounced the words, I shall be with you on your wedding night, I should regard the threatened fate as unavoidable. But death was no evil to me. If the loss of Elizabeth were balanced with it, and I therefore with a contented and even cheerful countenance agreed with my father, that if my cousin would consent, the ceremony should take place in ten days, and thus put 
as I imagined, the seal to my fate. All right. So finally, you know, it seems like, okay, we're in the third act here, like 10 days. Like here comes the climax of the thing. We got 10 days to wrap this shit up. 10 days until one way or another, somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. Victor's going to win. Victor's going to lose. Elizabeth is going to live. Elizabeth's going to die. And I think we already know she's going to die. Um, and frankly, I can't wait. Frankly, I can't wait for her to die, for the father to die, for everybody to die. I want a Shakespearean bloodbath here in the fifth act. Well, the third act, you know, but in the fifth act of a Shakespearean play, the third act of this book. You know what I'm saying. I want a bloodbath is what I'm saying. I have been waiting for a bloodbath this entire book and none has come. We just get dribbles of blood. We get somebody, you know, strangled here, somebody strangled there. It is a bummer. Great God. If for one instant I had thought that what might be the hellish intention of my fiendish adversary, I would rather have banished myself forever from my native country and wandered a friendless outcast over the earth than have consented to this miserable marriage. Wait, what? Why, why? Wait, great God. If for one instant I had thought what might be the hellish intention of my fiendish adversary, I would rather have banished myself forever from my native country and wandered a fiendless out, friendless outcast over the earth than have consented to this miserable marriage. What, why is it a miserable marriage? What, what fiendish, what hellish intentions? We know he's going to do something. I had thought what might be the hellish intention. Is he just foreshadowing? Is he just saying, wait till you find out what he did? Is that all he's saying? Just wait. Oh, just you wait till you find out what Big Buddy did and you are going to be like, oh my God. Is that what he's saying? But as if possessed of magic powers, the monster had blinded me to his real intentions. And when I thought that I had prepared only my own death, I hastened that of a far dearer victim. Oh, is he st he's still thinking... Oh, I'm so far past this that it didn't even occur to me. He's still thinking like Big Buddy's coming for him. No, stupid. Big Buddy's coming for Elizabeth because he knows that's going to be far worse. Don't you realize that? Are you that dumb? You really are. I'm so annoyed at him tonight. As the period fixed for our marriage drew nearer, whether from cowardice or a prophetic feeling, I felt my heart sink within me. Yeah. Why wouldn't it? First of all, yes, cowardice, but I, I can forgive you that. I would be a coward too. I know what's coming. But feelings of prophecy, there's no feelings of prophecy. He told you what he's going to do. He told you he's coming. You're not blessed with a third eye. He told you. Of course your heart is sinking. But I concealed my feelings by an appearance of hilarity that brought smoil smiles. Smiles, not smoils, smiles and joy to the countenance of my father, but hardly deceived the ever-watchful and nicer eye of Elizabeth. She looked forward to our union with placid contentment, not unmingled with a little fear, which past misfortunes had impressed, that what now appeared certain and tangible happiness might soon dissipate into an airy dream and leave no trace but deep and everlasting regret. Well, I don't think you'll regret it too much because you'll be dead. Preparations were made for the event, congratulatory visits were received, and all wore a smiling appearance. I shut up as well as I could in my own heart, 
the anxiety that preyed there, and entered with seeming earnestness into the plans of my father, although they might only serve as the decorations of my tragedy. Through my father's exertions, a part of the inheritance of Elizabeth had been restored to her by the Austrian government. Well, that's nice. I didn't realize that she was due money from the Austrian government, but I'm thrilled that part of her inheritance has been restored. Oh, okay. Yes, I am recalling now her, the whole Lavenza family tragedy and all the nonsense that went on with her brother and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's nice that Austria was like, hey, you know what? You're marrying Victor Frankenstein. We understand he's a terrific natural philosopher. Have a little of your inheritance back. Good for them, you know? It's nice to see the Austrians doing something right for a change because we know in about 100 years or so, you know, it's not going to be so great. A small possession on the shores of Como belonged to her. It was agreed, oh, that's where George Clooney lives. It was agreed that immediately after our union, we should proceed to Villa Lavenza and spend our first days of happiness beside the beautiful lake near which it stood. In the meantime, I took every precaution to defend my person in case the fiend should openly attack me. I carried pistols and a dagger constantly about me, and was ever on the watch to prevent artifice, and by these means gained a greater degree of tranquility. Well, that's, you know, I have said this time and time again. You want to feel safe, carry a couple guns and a dagger. I have said, if you guys know anything about me, you know that I have always advocated for the possession of armaments at all times. Keep as many guns near you as you possibly can. They will keep you safe. Nothing bad happens when guns are on your person and near you. <sighs> I lost my place. Indeed, as the period approached, the threat appeared more as a delusion not to be regarded as worthy to disturb my peace, while the happiness I hoped for in my marriage wore a greater appearance of certainty, as the day fixed for its solemnization drew nearer, and I heard it continually spoken of as an occurrence which no accident could possibly prevent. I mean, you have spent the last, what, three years? I don't know how long it's been since Big Buddy stirred in abject terror up this thing, right? And every time you kind of calm down for a second, that's when the thing kills again. Like, you know that. You've, you've learned that lesson. So why are you so stupid? It, ha it said, I'm coming for you, bro, on your wedding night. The wedding night is approaching. There's no delusion. Big Buddy is real. Big Buddy followed you across the English Channel. Big Buddy killed Clerval. And now you're like, yeah, I guess we're cool. You're not cool. Elizabeth seemed happy. My tranquil demeanor contributed greatly to calm her mind. But on the day that was to fulfill my wishes and my destiny, she was melancholy, and a presentiment of evil pervaded her. And perhaps also, she thought of the dreadful secret which I had promised to reveal to her on the following day. You think, you think that might be kind of occupying her mind a little bit? You think maybe the fact that you say you have a dreadful secret that I will tell you the day after we get married, you think maybe that is playing into her feelings of melancholy? 
My father was in the meantime overjoyed, and in the bustle of preparation, only recognized in the melancholy of his niece the diffidence of a bride. After the ceremony was performed, that's it? All of this, and then after the ceremony was performed, like, I just feel like she's always doing that. She's always, like, skipping kind of big things. It's, you know, the wedding, I mean, maybe it was different then, but I feel like, I, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a big deal that they got married. And you're just skipping right over that, Mary. After the ceremony was performed, a large party assembled at my father's, but it was agreed that Elizabeth and I should commence our journey by water, sleeping that night at Evian, and continuing our voyage on the following day. The day was fair, the wind favorable. All smiled on our nuptial embarkation. Those were the last moments of my life during which I enjoyed the feeling of happiness. And we will end there. Um, yeah, you're gonna, there's gonna be a slaughter, okay? And the fact that you don't know this, the fact that you think you're somehow immune, the fact that you think the worry that you have is, is a delusion after fucking Clerval got killed, your best friend strangled and you blamed for it. And you're just kind of like, yeah, I mean, that sucked, but we're, we're past that, I guess, now. Like, you're so dumb. Why are you so dumb, Victor? And why is Elizabeth so dumb to marry him? Because he's so fucked up. Like, there's so many red flags. Not the least of which is him promising to tell you <laughs> this secret tomorrow, you know, after we get married. Ugh, just driving me crazy. Neither of you deserve happiness, to be honest. The only thing that sucks is I know Victor isn't going to get killed because he's narrating this story. That's the only thing that sucks. Like, Elizabeth, I'm fine with her dying. Poor Elizabeth. Strangled. Great. Fine. The only bummer is that Victor, upon seeing that, doesn't also meet his doom. Because then he wouldn't have found Watson and would not be telling us this story. And that would have saved us all or Walton, Walton saved us. He would have saved us all a lot of trouble and episodes. But I'm grateful at least that his happiness, however tepid, is coming to an end. I'm grateful for the blood that I know is going to be shed. And I hope all of you are anticipating the misery and horror that is soon to befall our hero and his new bride. So the next time I speak to you, it will be most likely from the Haunted Mansion. It may be from some way station in between as I await my furniture to arrive in Savannah. But yeah, so this is adieu to the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, Northern Outpost. I say that with a little bit of a tear in my eye and a catch in my throat. I am a bit bereft, but we continue and I will join you from below the Mason-Dixon line for another home fried episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. 
Obscure Season 2 Frankenstein is produced by Robin Lynn, Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and myself here in the wilds of Connecticut where I record and elsewhere. Original music by Craig Wedgren. If you enjoy this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and drop in some stars for us, why don't you? Write a kind review, why don't you? It helps. How does it help? I have no idea, but it makes me feel good.